Roger gave this amazing little uh, monologue where he said, hey, he said he's sick and tired of all these engineers complaining about people leaving, and and they had to understand that uh, Apple gets thousands of resumes every single day, and he said, if you want to see the impact you're going to leave leaving the company, he said, uh, 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 put your hand in a bucket of water and pull it back out and look at the hole you left. Welcome to ADSP, the podcast, episode 40, recorded on July 28th, 2021. My name is Connor, and today with my co-host, Bryce, we interview Sean Parent, and he tells us the story of the battle between Project Star Trek and PowerPC. So a little background here. At, at Apple, when I joined Apple, I was working on QuickTry GX, and then I switched to a team uh, which was known as the Blue Meanies. Uh, which were uh, the purpose of the Blue Meanies is uh, they were the system integration architects. This was around uh, Mac OS System 7 during Mac OS System 7 development. So the Blue Meanies basically went around and figured out what all the various teams at Adobe were doing and tried to find uh, uh, areas where teams should be talking together more and coordinating more and, and just kind of making connections there. Uh, uh, and they would also help with you know, difficult to solve uh, uh, engineering problems that came about in, in kind of integrating components. Is this like meanies as in like M-E-A-N-I-E-S, like someone who is mean to someone? It, yeah, it, you know, the references to the, uh, the, 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 the blue meanies in the uh, uh, Beatles, uh, 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 what is it, Yellow Submarine movie, so... Oh, okay. okay, so it's a it's a cultural reference that I'm out of the loop on. Yeah, right. so so just search blue meanies and you'll see a little cartoon figure of what a blue meanie looks like. Do you know what this is, Bryce? Uh, no, I think we are uh, I think we are wrong generation <laughs> for us to understand this, Connor. Yeah, so. I do know who the Beatles I are. Know okay, who the Beatles well, are. good. You know. that, well, that's good. <laughs> you know. Yep. The disappointment in the back of his voice. <laughs> I guess yes, that that's a good thing. That's a good thing. <laughs> yes. So uh, yeah, so look up what a blue meanie is, and, and they're cute little cartoon characters. But uh, you know, Apple at the time was divided into pink and blue, where pink eventually spun off to be intelligent. It was kind of future Mac OS thing, which never shipped. It ended up in a partnership with IBM as a company called Telligent, and. Um, uh, blue was kind of traditional Mac OS, and so the Blue Meanies, that's where the blue comes in. And, and, and so, uh, yeah, so so I was working on Blue Meanies, and then part of what I was doing on Blue Meanies was I got uh, a task to start tracking a couple of projects that were shaping up. The context here was Macs were sitting on Motorola 68000 processors, and... Uh, Intel had the first Pentiums uh, coming soon, and even though the first Pentiums were a a uh, uh, you know flaming hot uh, 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 you know massive energy-consuming device, uh, they were faster than anything that Motorola had in their pipeline in the 68K thousand line, and 
uh, Motorola was struggling uh, with with process manufacturing to build faster 68,000s and to kind of move to standard to to smaller uh, 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 manufacturing processes. And so the answer seemed to be either to switch to switch Max to Intel or switch Max to uh, RISC architecture. And so somebody at Apple, a guy named Gary Davidian, uh, wrote an emulator uh, for uh, uh, the 88110, which was Motorola's RISC processor. And uh, uh, he wrote a 68K emulator and showed that he was able to run Macintosh in kind of a fully emulated environment on 88110 uh, with reasonable performance, right? right? It, it, it wasn't it wasn't fast, but but it didn't didn't suck. And uh, uh, Apple established a partnership with Novell, which was a non-Microsoft company that had a a competitor to DOS at the time, um, uh, uh, but didn't you know? Uh, uh, Windows was kind of. Uh, fairly new at this point. Novell didn't have an answer to Windows, and so Apple also entered into a partnership with Novell to investigate uh, moving Macintosh onto Intel processors using Novell's underlying kernel. Um, uh, uh, and Apple kind of providing the GUI interface on top of that. And that was known as the Star Trek project. You can look these things up online now. They're they're fairly well documented. Well, the the Star Trek project was this very high-profile partnership inside of, of of Apple, and the team had like a tremendous amount of resources, and it was a large team, and they were you know this you know pirate team, you know semi-super secret, they had their own floor of a building and, you know, pool tables and, and uh, perks and uh, 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 lots of the, the best engineering talent, several of the Blue Meanies kind of slid over into the Star Trek project. And I was monitoring the uh, 88110 and the RISC project, and out of that we created a little... Uh, 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 group to see if we could run uh, 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 with this idea of having some native code and some emulated code and bring up a machine in that environment using a RISC processor. And, and so it started as just a bunch of committee meetings exploring it and eventually we got to the point uh, where things were coming pretty far along. Um, uh, and it was starting to look look feasible, and then I kind of had this aha moment uh, at uh, at MacHack of all things. I got ended up staying up all night, kind of scribbling in a notebook of how mixed mode could actually work across you know, for the seamless integration between 68K and PowerPC code, and neither code had to know about the other, and you could get existing Mac software to run, even though everything in a existing 68K Mac was running in supervisory space, so you could have interrupt handlers and 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 all of these things, you know, executing in in user applications or system extensions or things of that. How I could make all of that work, and 
you know, even though I kind of have the aha moment, it, you know, this was not just me. There were a whole bunch of people who worked on this and were all listed on a patent for, for mixed mode. And, and you know, my, my ideas were just putting together pieces that, 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 that other people had. Um, uh, so in any case, I go back to, to Apple and I start like, oh, I got this figured out. This is how it all works and scribble it on the diagram. And everybody's like, okay. And, and from there, we, we kind of moved out of committees and formed a team, the PowerPC team. And one of the people who we brought in was an individual, Phil Koch, uh, who had been a professor at Dartmouth. And he joined, joined Apple uh, to be engineering manager on this team. And we ended up with several uh, first interns and then later hires who had been uh, his students at Dartmouth who, who kind of came in. Uh, but we were a very small team. It was just a, 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 a handful of us literally working on this. And we had a small cluster of offices mixed up with a bunch of other teams and and kind of, you know, no support. There was, it was a secret skunk works project, but it, this was not like Star Trek's project. We were not like well-funded. We didn't have perks. We were just kind of struggling along. And eventually, well, Scully came in at one point and said, oh, okay, so I cut this deal with IBM and and we're going with a, a power architecture. So this will be a new processor, PowerPC. And, and honestly, we had been evaluating risk chips and like power power architecture was, you know, like not even on the first page of candidates. Uh, but to Scully's credit, Scully was like, yeah, I, was like, I, I looked at your list. There aren't that many companies that can produce chips in the volume that we need. And, and uh, 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 you know, IBM is one of them. And so, so it became this very complicated partnership with IBM and with Motorola, which is where PowerPC came from. So there was a three-way partnership around the processor chips. Uh, there was an extended partnership with IBM uh, around uh, Taligent, which would, would was Apple's pink operating system, which would maybe be a future operating system running on PowerPC. And uh, there was an effort to uh, bring up Macintosh software on top of AIX, and that actually shipped at some point. AIX is, is IBM's flavor of, of Unix. And, uh, uh, and then there was our project, which was secret even to IBM, because IBM thought that when they were shipping these things that it would be their AIX kernel sitting underneath Macintosh's uh, uh, that were PowerPC, and Apple wanted a kind of side bet on maybe we could do this just with all Apple software. And so that was the, the team that, that I was working on. And, and so we got to the point where we were, you know, first we prototyped everything. We like prototyped all of mixed mode running 68K to 68K, which sounds kind of weird, but it, but it you know, actually worked as a proof of concept. Um, and kind of prototype the architecture and then started building things on power machines, which are not quite power machines, to get things kind of limping along. And then eventually we had PowerPC Silicon and we built boards that you could plug into 68K Max uh, 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 Quadrate 800s and you know, went through, like, how do you, you know, 
use logic analyzers to get to the point where you can boot these devices. And then we were able to get them up inside of an emulator, booting on them based off of Gary Davidian's work, but now ported to, to, to PowerPC. And and then uh, uh, finally we get to like like show mixed mode. And the first thing we moved over to mixed mode was there was a, an old Mac toolbox routine called set rect, which all it did was it took you know four coordinates as 16-bit integers, top left, bottom right, and returned a struct of those four integers integers that were passed as arguments. So so an almost do-nothing routine. It's basically just copying four integers from, from the stack into a struct on the heap, or, or in, I'm sorry, into a struct on the stack. So it's just, just copying four integers. And the, um, uh, uh, the but the interesting thing about set rect uh, was it got called all over the place. It got called at interrupt time. It got called from patches to the operating system. It got, you know, uh, uh, it, called from signal handlers, it was it was everywhere. And so uh, uh, we were able to take that routine native and show that you know native code could call it, native code could call it even if it had been patched with 68K code. Um, uh, 68K code could call it regardless of the execution context and it would execute correctly and return correctly and keep the state of the machine and and nothing fell apart, right? Everything still worked. And so that was our, our proof of concept. And, and after, after we got that running, uh, 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 the next, next day we got it running kind of late in the evening and, and the next, next morning, Phil Koch walked into my office and closed the door and said, I, I owe you an apology. And I said, said, what for? And he said, this whole mixed mode thing, I didn't think it was going to work. And and I said, well, you know, you should have said something. He's like, he's like, oh no. He said, I, you know, you explained it. You, I would, you know, explain it to anybody who wanted to hear. You know, walk up to the whiteboard and walk walk through the logic of how it worked through all the transitions. He said, he said, I saw what you were doing. I couldn't poke a hole in it. He said, just my gut said this isn't going to work. And I said, well, you know, you don't owe me an apology for that, right? Thanks for letting us run it out. And uh, uh, and he said, no, no. He said, he said, you don't understand. My reports to my bosses and the executives have been, this team's doing this, you know, wacky mixed mode thing. I don't think it's going to work. He said, so you want to know why this team doesn't have the funding that Star Trek has? Why? Other teams aren't excited about porting their code to PowerPC. Uh, why this team has like zero support? Why it's just a handful of people? He said, "Because you're you're the side bet that I didn't think was going to work." Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so so you know in in reality in in retrospect, I think that that. That keeping the team small, keeping the team focused, uh, uh, keeping all the outside distractions from pouring in, was was critical to actually getting this to ship. Uh, I give Scott Boyd, who was technical lead on this project for 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 most of the duration of the project, uh, a lot of credit for getting this thing shipped, and he 
coined the acronym NNTS, which was not necessary to ship. And kind of any time was like, oh, I think you know, we should be doing X, he would respond in, with an email of just NNTS, you know, meaning like, good idea, bad idea, I don't care, it's not necessary to ship. So, so very much trying to keep the team focused. Uh, uh, so, uh, uh, you know, so that all happened, and we shipped PowerPC, and PowerPC launched, and it was a big success. And and uh, PowerPC no, was known as as V0 internally because there was a plan. Apple had a roadmap that was kind of V1, V2, V3 of what they were going to do with their new with their new kernel work. And and PowerPC, we scaled it back so much to get it out the door that we called it V0. And the the team pitched a uh, a follow-on which was called Alberto which is VO5, if anybody knows the hair product, Alberto VO5. Uh, but yeah, so it was it was a half step between V0 and, and, and V1. Uh, 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 but management at the time said, no, we have to drive towards uh, 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 V1. And so that project got canceled. And Roger Heinen, who was leading system software at the time, uh, Apple was losing a lot of talent at this time. Apple was kind of bleeding cash and was, was scrambling even with PowerPC's success. Uh, you know, Apple was looking to, uh, to enable clones, and this is like soon after kind of this, this unwinding is when, when Steve Jobs kind of did the reverse takeover thing and came back to Apple. Um, uh, so Apple had been bleeding talent and, and uh, 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 there was a meeting with Roger Heinen, who was head of system software, and the engineers were raising the concerns in the audience, going, you know, what are you going to do to to keep talent here and keep people from leaving? And and uh, 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 Roger gave this amazing little uh, monologue where he said, hey, he said he's sick and tired of all these engineers complaining about people leaving, and and they had to understand that uh, Apple gets thousands of resumes every single day, and he said, if you want to see the impact you're going to leave leaving the company, he said, uh, 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 put your hand in a bucket of water and pull it back out and look at the hole you left. Uh, you know, basically <laughs> meaning that like no engineer mattered. And uh, uh, one of the senior kernel engineers uh, like walked up to the, 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 the front of the little amphitheater we were in and uh, handed Roger his badge and just kept walking. <laughs> and uh, uh, so Mor- morale so was kind clearly of, high. Morale was clearly high. We also had in in one of the hallways we had uh, uh, tombstones. Whereas each engineer left, we kind of drew a tombstone and put Rip and their name on it. So yeah, morale was really high. Um, when you said amazing speech, I thought it was going to be this like uplifting. You know, no, and, uh, it, it was like it was a lesson in like how not to manage is is what this was. Um, uh, uh, so yeah, so after uh, uh, the Alberto project got shut down, pretty much everybody who was on the PowerPC team left in about six months, and that's when I went to to Adobe and 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 joined the Photoshop team. Uh, uh, so the end result was was a good thing for me. And so now, fast forward, you know, we kind of talked about the I'm I'm at uh, at Adobe, and I'm I'm 
Macintosh tech lead on Photoshop, and I come up with this IAN proposal now that Steve Jobs is back at Apple, and they're doing a transition uh, uh, that was going to be Rhapsody, and then there's the IAN proposal, and then uh, 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 and then we find out about OS 10 when I get a call from Steve Jobs and get to go over to Apple and 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 and, and learn about OS 10, and so so. All of that happens, and uh, and then I get a phone call from Phil Coke at Apple, and Phil says, "Hey, I'm 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 leaving Apple, and I I just wanted to come and have lunch with you," and and I'm like, "Oh, oh, that's that's great," and uh, 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 so he comes over, and we're sitting at lunch, and he said, "Yeah," he said, "I'm I'm going to retire," and. And, and, and leave Apple, he said, but uh, I, I wanted to let you know something that you're probably not aware of. And he said, when this uh, Cyan proposal happened, he said, this uh, uh, Apple executive, who, who, who I won't name, but he's the, the, the person who had, had led to us cutting off negotiations around, around Rhapsody, who had, had, had written emails to John Warnock about both Greg Gilly and myself being impossible to work with. Um, uh, he said, yeah, so, so, so he said that at one point during that whole thing, uh, the executive walked into my office and put a paper on my desk and said, I need you to write up, uh, why this won't work. And, and he said, I, I looked at the cover, he said, and it said, you know, the same proposal, Sean Parent, he said, and I handed it back and said, it'll work. <laughs> <laughs> and and he said he said no he said said the executive was like like no that that it wasn't a question of will it or won't it work I need a report from you that says it won't work and uh, and and Phil said he said I flat out refused he said said I won't do that he said I'll tell you right now he said I can I can I can read the paper and tell you why it will work or you can just take my word for it. It's going to work, and um, and and handed it back, and and he said so. So he said, I, I, you know, he said after what what happened with PowerPC, he said I thought, thought you deserved to know that. So I thought that was a an, an, an interesting side story. So that's what the story that uh, Tony was was referencing. So the question is, is that the genesis of what end, ended up, you know? the start of the what was it two-year path to steve jobs then calling you back and like hey we gotta we'd like you to come over to apple and uh <laughs> yeah you know if i had to guess i think the time frame there was 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 probably just before the meeting where i blew up at this executive right in between the meeting with uh with greg gilly and the meeting that i had and because you know i mentioned before that that meeting was supposed to be um uh, uh, with uh, 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 Apple explaining the cost of them doing the Cyan proposal and and kind of walking through the the business aspects of this whole whole thing, and and Apple just came in and said, you know, it's impossible and we're not doing it, and that's what led me to get into the argument about saying, you know, you're you're full of crap, and uh, you know if if 
know, if you want it built, you can hire me and I'll go build it, right? Right? It's 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 100% doable. And so so I think like before that meeting, uh, this executive had gone to Phil looking for ammunition. Mm. Mm. And uh, do you, I, I'm I I doubt that you'd be able to share it, but do you still have a copy of the report? You know, unfortunately not. Um, uh, the the Cyan proposal. I would love to have it, just kind of as a historical yeah. artifact. And I've kind of asked some friends at Apple to see if anybody kept it. And uh, 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 yeah, you know, I uh, I keep a lot of old email, but like like not anything that far back. And I kind of dug through and and after you know leaving the company and coming back i could not find find the cyan proposal oh. um so yeah if any of your listeners have an old copy line about someplace what year would it have been uh so let's see this would have been i'm guessing 95 so if you worked at 95. apple in 1995 on their operating system yeah scheme. you might have had a copy if you were working at uh at, at Adobe too. Oh, or if you're at Adobe. Um, uh, I should ask. Uh, I don't know that I've ever asked a, 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 a Russell Williams. He worked on the what was going to be the V1 kernel at Apple, and then I hired him to work on uh, to work on Photoshop. And he's been at, at Adobe working on Photoshop ever since. And uh, um, uh, you know, one one of the key people on the Photoshop team. Do you remember how, how long was the proposal? Was it just like a white paper? Was it just a couple pages or was it like super? It was yeah. just a couple pages. It was like two pages. Yeah. It was a short thing. Would you have been able to share it? I feel like it's been like a couple decades that that'd be. Yeah. Horrible. Yeah. Apple, you know, I, I, I don't even think it was, or... you know, particularly interesting. Right. It was, it was, uh, 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 you know, Basically, it was an outline of what we had planned to do with uh, with Alberto and with V1, and so and what Apple finally did with what was known as the the uh, the blue box um, uh, on Mac Mac OS X. Uh, uh, but it was basically saying that yeah, you could you know have an environment where you could run run existing apps that were written against the existing toolbox and then you could also have an environment where where uh, those apps could call out to kind of new you know cocoa based functionality and you can mix and match the two and and you know it uh, uh, technically I don't think it was it was all that that interesting. I don't think it was like you know interesting in kind of the mixed mode space. And I think anybody who seriously looked at the problem was like, oh sure, of course you could do that. Um, uh, you know, it was just Apple's reluctance. Apple wanted kind of this clean move to to next step and to jettison the the Mac baggage. And so it was much more the combined strength of of. Uh, uh, you know, Adobe and Microsoft at the time that basically refused to make that move that convinced them to go the other direction. Hmm. And, and, you know, I've heard, you know, I've heard mixed reports from people in different parts of Apple as to how much of an impact the Cyan proposal had anywhere from, from none, it, you know, it, it would have happened anyways to, 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 it wouldn't have happened because, uh, because Apple was so dead set against it and there wasn't any clear path in 
doing it to succeed unless somebody wrote down and committed to say, look, we'll move Photoshop if you do this, right? And so, so that was the real, the real impetus. And, you know, uh, uh, we got a lot of flack from Apple then because, like I said, you know, we, we found out about this and then two weeks later we gave a demo on stage, but it hit at a really bad time in the Photoshop development cycle because, you know, we were kind of running 18 months product cycles and we were just finishing up a release. And so we didn't really have time in finishing up that release to do the, the Mac OS X support in that. And so we ran in the in the in the blue box, which had a bit of a performance penalty, right? Right. Basically, it was an environment that let you run, you know, old old Mac apps that hadn't been ported yet. Um, uh, uh, for for almost two years, right? It was almost two years until we shipped a quote unquote native native Photoshop. And you know, since since both machines were you know both the blue box and the and outside the blue box were, uh, uh, you know, PowerPC processors. It wasn't like we were running some big performance penalty, but we didn't have the the new kind of lickable-looking UI, and and the mm -hmm. app looked dated. And, and yeah, uh, I, I remember I the one time in my life when I used uh, Max was around that era, right right around the switch, when yeah yeah yeah. Hmm. So, you know, I somewhat think that uh, 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 that time period and the amount of pressure that Adobe and Microsoft could exert, right? To put it in perspective, you know, f at, at there was a period there where, where Photoshop accounted for more than 10% of the total software revenue on Mac. Okay. Not um, Adobe's, just in general. Yeah, not of Adobe's general, of like yeah. all developers that were developing Mac software, uh, uh, Photoshop was taking a a ten percent cut of that pie. But that that, that has that uh, changed? Because like I know I know you know back during that era and and even for like ten years after that, uh, you know Macs were the platform where, that you'd go to if you were doing that sort of creative work. But it seems like it's changed I, I, a bit in the recent years. I, I, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. I, I still think, you know, Macs tend to be uh, a, a more prevalent in kind of the, the the creative industry, but that segment of the market isn't as important for Apple anymore. Even Macs aren't as important for yeah. Apple anymore, right? I mean, they're completely dwarfed by by iOS sales at this point. Yeah, yeah. I, I saw I saw this funny graphic the other day that um, like the the Apple's total business for AirPods is like larger than the than the business of like a number of notable tech companies. Yep. <laughs> Including I think Nvidia both Nvidia and Adobe, I'm sure. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, and you know, the you know, I somewhat think the App Store rules are structured around trying to make sure that you don't have any companies that dominate. Mm. Interesting. Right. And what, what, why is that bad? Why is that? Why is that something that Apple wouldn't want? Yeah. Because a company that dominates uh, can exert control uh, right, 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 on right. Apple. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. And so they so, don't want to have to deal with you know, the Sean parents of the world. <laughs> they don't want to have to deal with me. That's the whole thing. It's 
interesting. <laughs> Apple doesn't want to deal with Sean. That's why you guys all have to live with the App Store. You can put that in the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> that makes a lot of... Well, that's sort of the... Uh, what was the Twitter beef or whatever? Some company, was it that they came out that they were breaking yeah, the epic. rules and starting this feud because yeah, of, was it epic? epic? Yeah, yeah epic. Um, yeah. Because yep. I guess, yeah, as soon as that happens, then like you said, they can sort of start a conversation or force their hand and be like, we're not paying this 30% fee. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is there still like a loss lawsuits happening around that? I heard that's basically, yeah. they, they said that they weren't going to pay. Now the Epic versus Apple lawsuit and the discovery, the discoveries in that lawsuit has just been hilarious. <laughs> the, 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 the documents that were, that were revealed during discovery have just been, uh, very hilarious because they've happened to incidentally reveal a bunch of like secret projects and plans that other companies were undertaking. Um, yeah. <laughs> going to be, there's going to be lawsuits branching off uh, of this lawsuit. Probably from, uh... Not. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, it's, it's interesting. I've been, been reading the news about it a little bit and I follow Tim Sweeney on the, on Twitter. Yeah. Oh yeah, he said some unkind things about C plus plus the other day or a couple months ago. <laughs> uh, because I remember on CPP cast they were like, "Oh, maybe we should get Tim Sweeney on." And then like fast forward three weeks, I see Tim Sweeney to, like saying that C plus plus is. I don't know. I can't remember what he said, but it wasn't. It wasn't nice. What do you um, What do you think will happen with this sort of stuff, Sean? Do you think that the the app developers like Epic will eventually prevail in uh, in regaining oh. some control of the ecosystem or? Well, I think the interesting thing is now, you know, Microsoft is in a position where they're no longer dominant and they're they're the the hungry player uh, with still significant market share. Um, uh, you know, as far as desktop computers go, you know, they have a problem that they never made a successful transition to the to the mobile space. But if you look, they announced you know with Windows 11 uh, very reasonable terms for their App Store, which is basically you know you put things in the App Store, and if they handle the financial transaction, then they take a, a cut, which is like a five percent cut, which is you know more in line with what you would expect for kind of a little co-marketing and a uh, uh, and a you know, a, a, a credit card fee, basically, right, for running the financial transaction for you. Um, uh, uh, and, uh, uh, you know, they've even said if, if they don't handle the financial transaction, uh, then then they won't take their cut. And so so I think that's going to change the, mm. the dynamics a bit. You know, Apple is so big at this point, I don't know how much pressure that puts on them. But I think it will... Uh, uh, make uh, 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 I, I think it will certainly be good for for the Microsoft ecosystem and for kind of expanding the Microsoft Store offerings. Mm-hmm. And there is something nice about having kind of a centralized store and knowing that your software is up to date and that at least somebody's looking at it to make sure it's certified, right? You know, you, you feel confident like buying an Adobe product or a major product over the web, but a lot of times if it's a little utility or yeah. something, I'll see you be like, do I want to download this from this sketchy looking website that hasn't been updated since the 90s? Or maybe there's something that will work that's in the store where I at least know, you know, there's a, a, a little bit of a gating factor into what I'm installing and running on my machine. Yeah. So, 
So yeah, so 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 I think uh, you know Microsoft might successfully start to change the dynamics, and I think if uh, I think there's an opportunity uh, for for Google there, if Google wants to more differentiate the Android space from the iOS space, to kind of follow suit with what what uh, Microsoft is doing, and in the case of 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 Google, I think that's a reasonable thing because I. You know, I'm sure they make a lot of money, but they don't make apple-sized money out of the Android App Store. Um, uh, but they, uh, you know, and, and most of their money generating on the platform is is advertising revenue, yeah. right? That's their main business. And so, so I think that that they might be able to to improve their platform to net benefit for them by actually reducing their cost structure. Whether or not they'll do it, I have no insight. You know, 100% pure conjecture here, uh, uh, but that again might start to put put competitive pressure on on Apple to cave. You know? Or somebody like Epic might just win a lawsuit in in this space and and uh, 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 open it up. Mm. You know, or you know the right to repair folks might might win some lawsuits and uh, 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 you know establish better right to repair, which is. It's it's related. Yeah. Certainly, an, an interesting time for uh, uh, for these legal issues in tech because there's a bunch of these cases coming to a head right now. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Oh, there's going to be another massive one. Uh, the Blizzard stuff that's coming yeah, up. Yeah, It's pretty awful. Yeah, <laughs> uh... Blizzard does does not sound like a nice place to work. It does not sound like a nice place to work. Mm. Yep. So send your resumes to uh, Adobe. We're a nice place. To yeah, be. plus they got the the ST, the software technology lab is uh is restarting. That's yeah, gonna be got, an exciting an exci- it's an exciting time to, to go go work at Adobe, I bet. It is, it is. And uh, uh, yeah, and I think, you know, Adobe if you look, you know, consistently ranks in the t- in the in the list for, for one if not the top places to work and, uh, and I think kind of the way we've been managing the the pandemic and now kind of getting people starting to to migrate back to work and the amount of flexibility the company has shown in that space I think has been has been very good and enlightening mm-hmm. and the company has been listening to their employees and trying to uh, you know be very flexible not not insisting that everybody go back to the office like uh, Apple and Google <laughs> yes not insisting that everybody goes back to the office uh, uh, companies basically come out and said you know we're gonna have flexible time as the as the default uh, for people i didn't know that apple i heard that facebook and twitter both decided like a year ago they were like oh this seems to work fine stay feel free to stay forever uh working remotely but apple and google both are mandating people have to come back somewhat yeah yeah, at least somewhat. They're they're coming up with different terms. I, I haven't been following all the news in and out, but I was reading something this morning where where basically I think the gist of it was that that Apple's policy was was either you register as a remote worker, you know, or you come into the office on a full time. And and if you're a remote worker, it means you're not in the office on a regular basis, and that comes with you know ramifications for pay and benefits and, and, and things of that nature. And and you know it. Some of that is unavoidable, right? Some of it is just kind of baked into into uh, uh, tax laws and employment laws and 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 things like that. Uh, but uh, 
uh, Adobe is basically dividing it into you can be a remote worker or you can be a flex worker. Mm. And a flex worker is everything from in the office all the time to just in the office on some regularly scheduled uh, uh, pattern. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed and have a great day.